Hello everyone. I need to explain why I am unchurched, dechurched, and non-churched, permanently speaking. I need to explain all the rest of the reasons why I'm all three of those things. So many people in the church claim to be pro-life, but they oppose Head Start. So many people in the church claim to be pro-life, but they're against prenatal care. So many people in the church Proclaim to be pro-life, but they uphold capital punishment, also known as the death penalty. So many people in the church claim to be pro-life, but they say and do nothing about black women dying in higher rates in childbirth. So many people in the church claim to be pro-life, but... They say and do nothing about infant mortality negatively impacting black indigenous people of color the most. So many people in the church proclaim to be pro-life, but they are adamantly opposed to the assault weapons ban. So many people in the church proclaim to be pro-life, but they desire to abolish social security. So many people in the church proclaim to be pro-life, but they are adamantly opposed to Medicaid and Medicare. So many people in the church proclaim to be pro-life, but they are against Medicaid expansion and health care for all. So many people in the church proclaim to be pro-life, but they love policies that are in favor of apophobia, which means rejection of the poor. So many people in the church proclaim to be pro-life, but they make decisions that cause the closures of rural hospitals and inner city hospitals, and they're allowing the closure of rural hospitals and inner city hospitals. So many people in the church proclaim to be pro-life, but they are outraged over the authorization and reauthorization of the Violence Against Women Act of the United States Congress. So many people in the church proclaim to be pro-life, but they enjoy pretending that embezzlement scandals robbery scandals and murder scandals don't happen within the church. So many people in church proclaim to be pro-life, but but they oppose breakfast, lunch, and dinner programs for kids. So many people in the church proclaim to be pro-life, but they are consistently rejecting federal government money that is for the marginalized and the upliftment of the marginalized. So many people in the church proclaim to be pro-life, but they are champions of corporate greed and corporate welfare. So many people in the church proclaim to be pro-life, but they have no problems with OBGYNs being non-existent in their states. So many people in the church proclaim to be pro-life, but they oppose Black Lives Matter, the 1619 Project, and critical race theory. So many people in the church proclaim to be pro-life, but they oppose the George Floyd Justice and Policing Act that is still needing to be passed in the United States Congress. So many people in the church proclaim to be pro-life, but they oppose protections for pregnant workers and maternity leave.
So many people in the church proclaim to be pro-life, but they are covering up intimate partner violence. So many people in the church proclaim to be pro-life, but they are covering up rape culture. So many people in the church proclaim to be pro-life, but they are covering up alcohol, drugs, gamblings, and nicotine addictions. So many people in the church proclaim to be pro-life, but they are covering up sex scandals, adultery scandals, and sex worker scandals that happen in the church. So many people in the church proclaim to be pro-life, but they are protecting and defending child abusers and adult abusers. So many people in the church proclaim to be pro-life, but they are adamantly against lowering prescription drugs pricing. So many people in the church proclaim to be pro-life, but they oppose cervical screenings. So many people in the church proclaim to be pro-life, but they oppose disease, infection, and cancer screenings. So many people in the church proclaim to be pro-life, but they call food deserts a hoax. So many people in the church proclaim to be pro-life, but they call climate change a hoax. So many people in the church proclaim to be pro-life, but their states are lagging abysmally behind in literacy rates. So many people in the church proclaim to be pro-life, but they pretend that male rape survivors don't exist. So many people in the church proclaim to be pro-life, but they oppose pelvic exams, pregnancy-related services, routine checkups, addressing fertility issues, birth control, and primary care for the disenfranchised. So many people in the church proclaim to be pro-life, but they are adamantly against addressing sexual dysfunction. So many people in the church proclaim to be pro-life, but they enjoy white toxic masculinity and white hyper-masculinity. So many people in the church proclaim to be pro-life, but they refuse to address toxic masculinity and hyper-masculinity. So many people in the church proclaim to be pro-life, but they delight in telling the lie that sexual abuse causes homosexuality and transgenderism. So many people in the church proclaim to be pro-life, but they love to tell the lie that cartoons makes people gay and transgender. So many people in the church proclaim to be pro-life, but they love to tell the lie that vaccines cause autism. So many people in the church proclaim to be pro-life, but they oppose STD and STI testings. So many people in the church proclaim to be pro-life, but they oppose STD and STI treatment. So many people in the church proclaim to be pro-life, but they glorify male supremacy, male nationalism, male world domination, male superiority, and male privilege. So many people in the church proclaim to be pro-life, but they glorify white supremacy, white nationalism, white superiority, white privilege, white male world domination. and white masculinity. And patriarchal 
masculinity. So many people in the church proclaim to be pro-life, but they glorify instrumentality, which means treating the person as a tool for another's purposes. So many people in the church proclaim to be pro-life, but they champion denial of autonomy, which means treating the person as lacking in autonomy or self-determination. So many people in the church proclaim to be pro-life, but they celebrate inertness, which means treating the person as lacking in agency or activity. So many people in the church proclaim to be pro-life, but they magnify fungibility, which means treating the person as interchangeable with other objects. So many people in the church proclaim to be pro-life, but they favor violability which means treating the person as lacking in boundary, integrity, inviolable as something that is permissible to break up, smash, break into. So many people in the church proclaim to be pro-life, but they value ownership, which means treating the person as though they could be owned, bought, or sold, such as slavery. So many people in the church proclaim to be pro-life, but they are comfortable with denial of subjectivity, which means treating the person as though there's no need for concern for their experiences or feelings. So many people in the church proclaim to be pro-life, but they are gladdened by reduction of body, which means the treatment of a person as identified with their body or body parts. So many people in the church proclaim to be pro-life, but they are glad-hearted by reduction to appearance, which means the treatment of a person primarily in terms of how they look or how they appear to the senses. So many people in the church proclaim to be pro-life, but they are excited by silencing, which means the treatment of a person as if they are silent lacking the capacity to speak. So many people in the church proclaim to be pro-life, but they are tickled pink by objectification, dehumanization, self-objectification. And objectification of social relationships known as reification. So many people in the church proclaim to be pro-life. But they are fond of the sexual objectification of women. The sexual objectification of men. The sexual objectification of children the sexual objectification of non-binary persons and the commodification of human beings. So many people in the church proclaim to be pro-life, but they love the sexualization of men, of women, of children of non-binary adults. So many people in the church proclaim to be pro-life. But they they are ecstatic about sexploitation and exploitation in general. So many people in the church proclaim to be pro-life. But
They think that the male gaze, G-A-Z-E, is cool. So many people in the church proclaim to be pro-life. But they are okay with police brutality, which is the intentional use of excessive force by a police officer. Though usually physical, it has the potential to arise in the form of verbal attacks or psychological intimidation. It is in some instances triggered by a contempt of cop, also known as perceived disrespect towards police officers. How many people in the church proclaim to be pro-life, but they are euphoric about police corruption, which is a specific form of police misconduct designed to obtain financial benefits slash a career advancement for a police officer or officers in exchange for not pursuing or selectively pursuing an investigation or arrest. So many people in the church proclaim to be pro-life, but they are embracing of police misconduct, which refers to inappropriate actions taken by police officers in connection with their official duties. Police misconduct can lead to a miscarriage of justice and sometimes involves discrimination. So many people in the church proclaim to be pro-life, but they are supportive of torture which is any act by which severe pain, whether physical or psychological, is intentionally inflicted. So, I explained to you all the rest of the reasons why I am unchurched, non-churched, and de-churched. Now, I am going to talk to you about the organized crime world that I was forced to be in. When I was In the organized crime world, there were a lot of xenophobic violence and xenophobic murders. Um, When it came to criminals of color, because of all the myths and stereotypes that many in that world were raised to believe about persons of color. When I I stepped into the organized crime world involuntarily, I was able to put a stop to a lot of the xenophobic violence, xenophobic murders because I was considered um, someone extraordinarily highly powerful in that world because criminals tended to submit to me um, in 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 a myriad of ways. So I was able to um, dramatically decrease a lot of the xenophobic hate crimes. because I started talking to criminals and said you know all all the you know all y'all targeting folk is bad for y'all business that's how y'all go to jail sooner that's how in some cases you get the death penalty sooner and in some cases that's how you'll get the you know the intelligence community 
and its agents as the bullseyes on your back. Y'all don't want any of that static. Those are my exact words to them. And they thought about it and listened to me. And that is how the xenophobia, violence, the xenophobic murders, and even the xenophobic comments dramatically decreased because I was able to tell them, you know, you're not going to last long making all the money you like if y'all keep bringing terrible attention to yourselves. I was five when I told them these things. And because I, I was able to do that for the immigrants, that's why immigrants and I were cool with each other. That's why refugees and I were cool with each other. That's why foreigners, orphans, and strangers were cool with me. I was pretty much liked by every kind of human group. I mean, I knew people that were believers. They liked me. I knew people that were non-believers. They liked me. It was a sprinkle of everybody in the organized crime world, from what I remember. And... In the organized crime world, I did witness what is called torture. And I'm going to repeat what torture means. Torture is any act by which severe pain, whether physical or psychological, is intentionally inflicted. In organized crime, I did experience what is called police brutality, which I will explain it again. Police brutality is the intentional use of excessive force by a police officer. Though usually physical, it has the potential to arise in the form of verbal attacks or psychological intimidation. It is in some instances triggered by a contempt of coup, as example, perceived disrespect towards police officers. An organized crime I did experience was called police corruption, which I'll explain again. Police corruption is a specific form of police misconduct designed to obtain financial benefits slash career advancement for a police officer or officers in exchange for not pursuing or selectively pursuing an investigation or arrest. An organized crime I did witness what is called police misconduct, which I'll explain again. Police misconduct refers to inappropriate actions taken by police officers in connection with their official duties. Police misconduct can lead to a miscarriage miscarriage of justice and sometimes involves discrimination. So yes, in organized crime, I did experience police abuse and abuse of police power. And from what I remember about that world, I remember being forced to attend Sin City parties that ended exactly how the notorious B.I.G. was murdered. There there were certain parties where it, I, I remember so many Sin City parties that were hosted by criminals. And I remember that Sometimes, some some of those parties had to leave early because of physical fights, shootouts, you know, stick-up kids robbing and people defending themselves, uh, gang-banging going on, and um, street behavior happening in the clubs and just venues. And, you know, I remember... Criminal, you know, women criminals get me in their cars and they would drive me off. They were the first to, before they would think about anybody, they wouldn't even think about anybody else. They would come get me, put me in their car, in in their luxury cars, and just drive off. Everybody else had to make it out alive on their own or they had to help each other. But the women criminals said, wherever I go is where you go. So if they say if I'm uncomfortable, 
I'm going to quickly get you up out of here. So it's a Sin City place, bad element, extremely toxic people, pure evil folk up in there. So of course, revolting incidents happen and they looked at me and just grabbed me immediately, pushed me in that car gently, closed the door and we just drove off. Um, and some people died the way Biggie, Notorious B.I.G. died, you know, or we could leave the party, the Sin City parties early, or we would leave the Sin City parties when it would end, and then all of a sudden you would hear gunshots, somebody slain in a car. So when they talked about that infamous vibe party from 1997, I went to parties similar to that, where people lost their lives outside the club and venue, and I've seen people be murdered in clubs and venues. You would hear a shot, and then the women criminals would get me in a car and drive off. I've seen people die the way the late JFK did, the way the late Tupac Shakur did, um, the way Malcolm X did, the way Meg Evers did, the way Dr. King, Martin Luther King Jr. did. I'm not comparing any of these guys to each other. It's just that the way that those men died, I saw that happen in the world of organized crime in terms of its clubs and its venues, whether outside those places or inside those places. Um, I also want to be honest about something. And this is really difficult for me to be honest about. Um... I do remember forcibly I was selling drugs and running numbers in pubs, bars, nightclubs, parties, live music, concerts, cabarets, theater, cinemas, shows, the nightlife with the night owls. Um... I remember forcibly uh, selling drugs and sexual services in areas of prostitution, strip clubs, sex shops, gambling casinos, betting shops, and drug environments like alcohol, marijuana, the hardcore drugs, etc., where there was obviously organized crime with gang activity. And I was forcibly made to sell drugs and run numbers in red light, illegal red light districts in um, the D.C., Maryland, and Virginia areas. Um, And I want to make it clear that the nightlife, the pubs, the bars, nightclubs, the parties, live music, concerts, cabarets, theater, cinema shows... The nightlife and the night owls were all owned by criminals. So when criminals own something, they let whoever is in there. So basically, all these types of places was filled with bad element. So are they going to care about me being underage? No. Are they going to care about me at all? No. So that's exactly what occurred to me. Did I ever get a cover charge for admission? No. Criminals, whenever they run something, they decide who pays and who's free because I was the favorite. I never had to pay anything. Everybody else did except me. So in these venues, did I... Okay, you want to know, like I said, Sin City, right? So you want to know, 
Was it a Sin City nightlife? Yes. Um, was I exposed? Was I exposed to like being within Sin City pubs, Sin City bars, Sin City nightclubs, Sin City parties, Sin City live music, Sin City concerts, Sin City cabarets, Sin City theater, Sin City cinema, Sin City shows, Sin City night out, Sin City nightlife, and Sin City entertainment? That's adult oriented? Yes. Criminals own these things. Whenever a criminal owns something, Sin City will happen within those venues. So you're going to have a Sin City element. So that's what happened. And now you're you're wondering, um, what does Sin City mean? Sin City is a nickname that may be applied to an urban area, a city, or part of that caters to various vices. These vices may be legal depending on area on area, or illegal activities which are tolerated. So now you know what that means. So I was in, I was experiencing Sin City sex related services. So Sin City strip clubs, Sin City sex shops, Sin City prostitution, Sin City gambling, Sin City casinos, Sin City betting shops. Drug areas like Sin City alcohol, Sin City marijuana, Sin City um, hardcore drugs, and Sin City organized crime, Sin City gang activity, Sin City illegal red light districts. The criminals owned all these things, so that explains all that. That means bad element in all these places. It's all organized crime, so. And I want to make it clear for sex workers' rights. You know, I'm for responsible usage of alcohol. I'm for healthy weed to smoke and to consume in a brownie, for example, weed brownies. So I just want to clarify that. I'm for ethical gambling. I just want to say that. And I love the nightlife. Ethically speaking, so just wanted to clear that up. There's difference between organized crime and life outside organized crime, so that's why I'm differentiating. Um, so there's more honesty that needs to be done on my part. So. I was forcibly, I I was selling drugs and running numbers in Sin City rent parties and Sin City buffet flats. Um, All owned by criminals, so bad element in those places, okay? And you can have buffet flats and rent parties that are Sin City without breaking the law. And you can do it with positive people, so... That's something to consider. So, I was for, forcibly, I was selling drugs around numbers in alcohol-free bars, Australian type of pubs, bars, beer halls, biker bars, blood houses, botequims, brew pubs, cantinas, cider houses, cigar bars, dance bars, desi pubs, dive bars, drink establishments, fern bars, gastro pubs. Gay bars, hunky tonks, um, hookah lounges, host and hostess clubs, ice bars, inns, I in Irish type of pubs, Azakias, juke joints, lesbian bars, micro pubs, nightclubs, British type of pubs, rat skellers, roadhouses, she beans, slide grog shops, speakeasies, taverns, tide houses, tiki bars, western salons. So, criminals loved all these drinking establishments so they said okay we're gonna create our own versions of these things so sin city and all the type places which means the element was all bad you know Organized crime figures would frown upon the Gothenburg public houses, and that's for sure. And I want to say on record, 
They are ethical alcohol-free bars, ethical Australian pubs, ethical bars, ethical beer halls, ethical biker bars, you know. Ethical Botequims, ethical brew pubs, ethical cantinas, ethical cider houses, ethical cigar bars, ethical ethical dance bars, ethical desi pubs, and ethical dive bars, ethical drink establishments, ethical Fern bars and ethical gastro pubs and ethical gay bars and ethical hunky tonks and ethical hookah lounges, ethical host and hostess clubs, um, ethical ice bars, ethical inns, I N N S. Ethical Isaacayas. Ethical juke joints, ethical lesbian bars, ethical micropubs, um, ethical nightclubs, ethical British pubs, and um, ethical rat scalers. Ethical roadhouses, you know, premises. Ethical speakeasies, ethical taverns. Ethical tide houses, ethical tiki bars. Ethical westerns. Saloons. So. Yeah. Just explaining more of how I overcame. And how I grew up. And. um, I do remember in that organized crime world that I did see people who were parents um, having adulterous affairs in front of the children, having non-adulterous affairs in front of the children yelling and cursing and heated arguments in front of the children and the children walking in on adults having sex um being in the organized crime world there are times where strangers will let me in their homes some of these strangers were criminals and some of these strangers were civilians and either way when it came to the civilians usually I didn't hear or see anything that would make me think the law is being broken but with criminals everything I saw and heard was completely criminalistic So there were times where I have to separate the adults from the kids. I wasn't always successful, but there were times where I did. Like convincing them to finish their argument or physical fight away from the children. Um, Usually I would say, hey, you know, it was usually man or woman. And then plus I'm big on being a gentleman. Like I was at the time, like I am now, and forevermore. So I would say, 
Watch your words when it comes to each other. Watch your tone of voice and volume comes to each other. Sometimes they'll get a little attitude with me. Who are you? You a kid. Mind you're a grown-up and I would stand my ground. I'm like, you put me in your home. You having me see this. I'm going to speak up. I'm going to say something. If you don't want me to say anything, then I need to stop doing what you're doing. You put me in this house. This, You put me in your house. And eventually they understood there was nothing they could say or do that would get me to stop speaking up. Because I sometimes have to physically separate from the kids and I apologize to the kids. And it was, uh, it was bittersweet how they kept letting me in their home. They actually liked that I took control. And other people's homes, they would just have me there. Like, at first, some people said, I don't want Antonio around anymore. He's running our fun. And so for a while, it was they felt that the adults was like, yeah, we're going to permanently ban Antonio. How dare he stand up to us? But the kids was and the other adults who were present, they're like, you need to lift the band. Are you, this is my home. Well, I'm not going to come here if he's not allowed here. And you're not going to be in my life. And our kids will not be in your life. Whole family will be in your life. If Antonio can never be around us again. So what happened? I ended up being around them again. They lifted the ban. How they lift the ban? Well, it was it was easy to find me in the streets. So they came up to me and apologized and said, "Hey, come past the house. We'll feed you." Da 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 da. Because I remember there were times where all the inappropriate things they would say and do, and being violent about it. With the ch- you know, with the children present, there were adults who were there, and they grew up in families where they felt learned helplessness. Like I, I don't like what's going on, but I don't know what to say or do. And me being the only person and child willing to speak out, they really admired that about me. I remember they would um take me um take me home and sometimes they would take me to their home because they're like well we don't want to just spend time with you at our relatives home so they'll sometimes have me at their home and you know they just gravitated toward me fed me and gave me free money and complimented me I grew up in a grooming culture. I know. That's what you're thinking. I'm thinking it too. Um, So. That's. That was the world I was in. And I remember. When I went back to their home. You know. They never did those inappropriate things that are done, at least in my presence. They may have still done it, but no one in the family was reporting it. So maybe they did, and, you know, nobody was around when they was doing that stuff. But when but when everybody was around, I didn't see or hear anything from anybody, not even them, about some still nefarious going on in the home. Um... And whenever they would cheat or anything like that, I remember interacting with those they cheated with. And at first they tried to get robbed on me, how they get in our business. And I would stand my ground again. And some tried to fight me. I said, you, you, you don't want to do that. I have a reputation in the street for for laying them hands. Some of the people that said that to me were men. I only said that to the men. Now, the women who was trying to fight me, because, you know, it was the dad cheating with women or the mom cheating with men, right? It was them. 
And the women tried to get buckled. I said, I'm a gentleman. Why would you want to start drama with a gentleman? I respect women. What are you doing? And that's what made them feel so ashamed of themselves. They apologized. So it was interesting how they would hang out with me. Like, making me hang out with them, I mean to say. And feed me at their home. And it was, it was like, eventually they stopped cheating with, you know, the dad and the mom. As far as I know, maybe they still were. Um, but they never gave me an inkling that, that it was still happening. That doesn't mean it didn't happen. You know, maybe they just didn't want to make it obvious to me. But that's what occurred. You know, just stories like that come to show you that there's a lot in that world that people like to talk about that does happen. And I'm here to tell you something I talked about in my book, my first book, the Amazon one. This is what occurs, people. So in the world of organized crime, you've seen American Gangster. Naked women packaging and cooking up the drugs and bagging it up. Those are things I actually saw. Um, Usually with the naked women along with the drug lords, I was packaging, cooking, and bagging up the drugs with them. I remember the triple beams, the balancing scales, drugs. I remember the, they had their own cash registers. And, um, I remember they had their own They had their own safe scans bill counters, cash machines. I remember those. They had their own money counters, from what I remember. So I was counting the money with the naked women and the drug lords and the stash houses. Sin City stash houses, by the way. Basically, a stash house is where weapons and supplies are hidden. And in those stash houses, it was also where human smugglers put migrants so they could relocate them either within countries or across borders. So also in the safe houses, Sin City safe houses, by the way. I remember that was that tended to be the criminal hangout spot. A safe safe houses are houses in a secret location used by spies or criminals in hiding. A safe house also spelled safe house with no personal space, is in a generic sense a secret place for sanctuary or suitable to hide people from the law. Hostile actors or actions or from retribution, threats or perceived danger may also be a metaphor. It was real. That's where places where criminals did their Sin City activities there. So that was pretty much my my forced world and um, organized crime like 
couple more stories. I, I remember seeing um, parents get drunk and high for the children. And I would have to convince them, not in front of the children. I remember seeing people throw, break, inanimate objects and smash things in front of the children. I would say, I would have to convince them, not in front of the children. And I have to convince them, don't put kids in grown folk business. They would try to have grown folk conversation with kids. I have to convince them, don't do that. And just being in that world, I also saw police raids, intelligence community raids. Um, I saw the DC equivalent of SWAT teams. I saw the Batarams. Um, I saw DC version of Batarams just destroying crack houses, drug houses. You know, and criminal safe houses and criminal houses, right? By the way, I was forced to sell drugs and run numbers in crack houses, drug houses, trap houses, drug dens, brothels, um, weed spots, after hours clubs crystal meth labs and opium dens and they were all sin city so the brothels were sin city the crack houses sin city the trap houses were sin city the drug houses sin city the drug dens were sin city the opium dens were sin city and the crystal meth labs were all sin city too the safe houses were sin city and the trap house the trap houses sin city and the um, stash houses were Sin City too. I was forced to sell drugs or numbers in all those all these places. So that shares my whole story in that world. So now I'm going to talk about uh, sex. Um, Things I learned about sex recently. um, I've learned that when it comes to sex. I figured out. Sex requires full body exploration, full soul exploration, full heart exploration, full mind exploration, full memories exploration, full exploration of our sense of taste, our sense of touch, our sense of smell, our sense of sight, our sense of our sense of hearing. Our sixth sense, our intuition, and our instincts. So, ideally, um, sex should be healthful, nutritious, restorative, sanitary, hygienic, salutary, invigorating, tonic, stimulating, well, uh, bracing, salubrious, wholesome, Beneficial, health-giving, nutritive, nourishing, energy-giving, fresh, um, pure meaning of integrity, clean meaning of decency, corrective, cathartic, sedative, regenerative, substantial, sustaining, benign, 
healthy, good for all parties involved, desirable for our parties involved, and necessary and a necessity for all parties involved, harmless, iniquitous healing, preventive of who and what's wrong, uh, disease-free, unpolluted, unadulterated, and favorable. Ideally, those are all the qualities of appropriate sex. And sex should never be unhealthy, never be sickly, and never be unwholesome. Sex should be safe and sound, in good condition, in full possession of everyone's faculties and good health full of pep never feeling better that means cloud nine um euphoria fresh whole firm lively undecayed flourishing good clear-eyed and fine fettle um Sane, safe, um, all right, well, hearty, um, blooming, vigor, soundness of body and soul, well-being, high well-being, high quality of living. Enough stamina, enough full bloom, enough energy, enough good shape, enough clean bill of health, enough strength, athletic enough, um, fit as a fiddle enough, physical fitness, fitness of the soul, Athletic and spirit too. And a healthy remedy, a healthy rejuvenation, healthy rebuilding, healthy reviving, healthy repairing, healthy fixing, Healthy make better with ease and healthy rehabilitation. Those are all the other aspects of appropriate sex. And now you have more of an understanding on why I want to be a sex symbol for all the morally excellent reasons, therefore making me a morally excellent sex symbol. Moral excellence in this case means I'm a good neighbor to me, that's why I'm a good neighbor to you. The people The people who have shown me the most kindliness are atheist agnostics. The people that have shown me the most kind-heartedness, the most warm-heartedness, the most tender-heartedness, the most goodwill, the most affectionateness, the most affection, the most warmth, the most gentleness, the most tenderness, the most concern, the most care, the most consideration, the most considerateness, the most helpfulness, the most thoughtfulness, the most unselfishness, the most selflessness, the most altruism, the most compassion, the most sympathy, the most understanding, the most big-heartedness, the most benevolence, the most benign, benignity, the most friendliness, the most neighborliness, the most hospitality, the most amiability, the most courteous, courteousness, the most public-spiritedness, the most generosity, the most magnanimity, the most internal indulgence, of the 
good character persuasion, the most patience, the most tolerance, the most charitableness, the most graciousness, the most lenience, the most humaneness, the most mercifulness, the most decency, and the most bounteousness are atheists and agnostics. The people who have shown me that I am unprotected have been the believers. But the people who say that I am worthy of protection from unkindness and meanness are atheists and agnostics. So kind acts have been done to me by atheists and agnostics more than believers and theists. So the quality of being friendly, generous, and considerate, atheists and agnostics show me that the most which means that the believers and atheists could learn everything about substantive human beingness from the atheists and the agnostics. Yes, all walks of life have good apples, bad apples, a mixture of good and bad apples. And what I'm saying is, is that Non-believers and unbelievers are much way better at respecting me than believers and theists.